you can now hear Movie Heaven Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is ready on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to the Movie Heaven, Movie Hell uh, podcast extra with me, Simon. And I'm Keith Isles, and uh, we are both independent filmmakers that like to uh, chat about film and, you know, fans of all things film connected. And today we are joined uh, by a guest uh, who's actually a a good friend of mine um, and a listener to the show. We're joined by Chris. Hey, Chris. Hello, everyone. How are you? Very well, very well, and very pleased to uh, to have you join us and be part of the show. Um, basically, the way this came about is uh, I spoke to Chris over Christmas and uh, told him that we were about to do a podcast uh, around the film director, Alan Parker, because we got to pee. And um, Chris started asking whether we were going to talk about Pink Floyd's The Wall. And... Uh, I said, well, no, that actually weren't the films that we picked for this, although a very interesting film. And um, it sort of spawned the idea that we might be able to talk a little bit about that film. Well, yeah, because um, uh, funnily enough, I'm actually a Pink Floyd fan and um, I actually am quite a fan of this film, though um, when it came to sort of making our picks, I just thought that uh, Mississippi Burning was actually uh, it was just a, a better film than this but um i mean this is a very sort of intriguing intriguing film and um it has quite a sort of um history to it And yeah, just thought it would be something good to op- open up. Um, so, so Chris, bringing you into it, uh, you, you know, f- first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and and sort of how you came to uh, be a fan of of Pink Floyd's The Wall. I guess start with me. Uh, I'm Chris. Uh, I'm an animator by profession. Uh, worked in the video games industry for about fourteen years. Um, did a little work in in some broadcast stuff, and I'm currently working on uh, something completely uh, different, although uh, still as an animator. Pink Floyd's The Wall. Well, I guess um, uh, probably because um, I was very into animation when I was very small, and uh, in 79, or it might have been 80, when another Brick in the Wall Part 2 video came out, 
um, of course, I was interested in the animation and also the music. That, that's that's a really good point. I mean, what one of the things Chris and I go way back. Um, in fact, I think I mentioned Chris in one of the podcasts once. Is it was uh, Chris that uh, bought VHSs round back in the day and introduced me to films like The Terminator and Highlander and things of that nature. I, I seem to remember us watching those together. But I remember, Chris, you were always sort of really heavily into the music side of things. And I, I remember, for example, um, like The Doors. I became familiar with The Doors because of the Oliver Stone film. But uh, I know that you were a fan of The Doors long before that and listening to that stuff, you, you know, long before that. So I, I take it that's kind of the same with, with Pink Floyd, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think I probably came to the doors because I watched Apocalypse Now when I was very young. So um... <laughs> <laughs> too young. <laughs> not, not I should have really at that age, but, but there you go. I, I guess we are where we are. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, I, it does go for Pink Floyd. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw the film before I owned the album, and I, I saw the the film several times. I think before I was 16, because uh, I had another friend uh, when I was quite young, and he, he was also into music, and we were always listening to music together. And uh, he liked Pink Floyd too, so uh, I'm sure I'm sure he had a copy of it on VHS, and we used to watch it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, actually, um, I got the album for my 16th birthday. That was my 16th birthday present. Was the the double album? Uh, oh, nice. Sh- showing my age a bit with the vinyl bit there, I suppose. <laughs> there you go. Hey, vinyl's back in. Vi- vinyl's the new cool, isn't it? So it's all good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Already starting to get some vinyl uh, records in my collection. Well, apparently now. this Christmas vinyl is a big seller. Apparently yeah. there's this move back to analog. Books and vinyl were, oh, okay. were things that sold a lot. But there you go. So that's <laughs> but that's cool. Um, I mean, what about you, Simon? What, what about your... Uh, Obviously, I've not known you as long as Chris, but what what about your uh, your your initial contacts with with this with the film The Wall or, or Pink Floyd in general? Well, my my dad was a big fan, so I'd uh, grown up listening to The Wall, uh, but I didn't really get into him until uh, my late teens, about when I was nineteen. Uh, some friends of mine, we always loved listening to sort of. Um, that was when I sort of really got into music, and that was me and my friends. We'd you know swap cds and stuff like that and uh the wall was one that came up and i'd listened to a lot must have been about 98 um when i'd started getting into filmmaking i remember one christmas uh channel four uh showed uh pink floyd the wall and uh, i saw it in the uh the christmas listings it must have been the christmas radio times and i've i had i set the vcr to record it and um I, I I thought it was going to be a concert movie mm-hmm. because because um, that that's what it sounded like just from reading the description. Uh, but then uh, watching the film, it was kind of like it was a it was a whole different um, experience than what I was expecting. It was quite you know it's very it's a film that kind of washes over you because it's a lot of imagery and whatever dialogue there is, it's uh, it doesn't propel the story at all it's kind of a bit just perfunctory there's bits of words here and there but there's never anything that uh propels the the story as such uh what propels the story is the music and i've heard other people refer to this film as 
you know the uh the beginnings of like music videos and stuff like that that um that it was one big long music video and in, in some ways they're correct but in some other ways they're not because um all these different elements tell the story of of pink and uh his sort of uh fall into madness and then possibly getting out of it at the end it's never quite you know, it's always the ending to the film's a bit ambig- ambiguous oh, absolutely no i mean yeah i mean for for, for me i i wasn't i wasn't necessarily a, a, a particularly a, a big fan of pink floyd as, as such um mm. i actually ended up seeing the film uh because of starting to become interested in alan parker and alan parker's work um i mean pink floyd uh i remember when i was at uh, college and film school we used to go and see um uh laser shows at the planetarium uh all done to the sort of dark side of the moon and, and stuff oh. like that um you, you know because obviously it was all very very psychedelic uh like a lot of their work um but i mean you know when we talk about film being this sort of combination uh, of lots of arts and crafts um I, I think certainly in terms of a collaboration uh you can very much see it in this with with obviously uh what roger waters brought to it but also what gerald scarf brought to it with the the imagery and then of course you know alan parker bringing that together to to, to actually you know form the visuals and the narrative of it that way and um Yes, it is interesting. It is interesting. Uh, Chris, coming from the listening, you know, more to the album originally um, and seeing how it's been adapted and, and re-recorded in some places for, for the screen. I mean, what, what, what sort of struck you about that? Uh, the film? Yeah, the film. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, as Simon was saying, it's, it's really um, kind of just uh, placing imagery uh, to accompany the album. The imagery was very striking. Well, I mean, kind of the music really speaks uh, for itself a lot, doesn't it, in, in the film? But um, the, the thing I, I suppose that really attracted me again as a, as a young teenager was, um, was the animation, uh, which is really, really good. I, I was very surprised, actually, when I, when I watched the, a documentary about, about the film. Gerald Scarf was saying the, uh, the animation was all made on twos, which is basically uh, the animation was shot. Uh, twice, which means it's uh, at 12 frames a second rather than 24. And, uh, he was also saying that the um, some of the uh, final images, I mean, you were talking apparently about uh, two days per frame. Uh, and I know he had a team of 40 animators, but that's still a, an awful long time to make all this stuff. It's, yeah. Uh, so it looked like quite a, quite a labour of love uh, for the art department. So that that was something that really... Uh, astonished me this time and um also again what, what listening to the the commentary for the the dvd uh something that that really struck me and made me see the end of the film in a completely different light was alan parker talking about all the skinheads they've employed to be the audience <laughs> for the kind of nuremberg sequences and it's just like and and then you watch like run like hell and, and it's kind of like God, they're really not mucking about. <laughs> absolutely terrifying to watch suddenly because, like, they kind of meant it. it was, yeah, uh, um, the, the, I saw the the making of on uh, Alan Parker's website, and um, and this is a written essay as well where he talks about all that. And uh, they had uh, a lot of skinhead groups together, 
and uh, he was really worried that you know that there was going to be a lot of fighting and stuff but um the the thing that happened was um when bob geldof would come out and do in the flesh um they would all get riled up and they were really into it and then so he started worrying that they didn't realize this was fantasy and they were taking it far too seriously yeah yeah all that anarchy stuff towards the end is quite is quite scary isn't it um and, and 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 chris you know you mentioned about the the animation in this and i i know obviously you've got you know some background in in, in animation but um you know, back uh, in '82, when when this film was made, we were talking sort of real, real old school style animation back then. Yeah, in terms of hand drawn and all of that sort of stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Everything there was was drawn by hand. And um, again, referring to the commentary that they were talking about the um, the really lovely scene where, where Pink's watching TV and there's the shadow of his wife on the wall that morphs into the monster and he was saying that you could do that on a computer now probably in a couple of days they had to draw the whole thing by hand and it's quite surprising how much um, the industry has changed in that respect yeah yeah was that that bit where it sort of turns into that sort of praying mantis type thing is that yeah. right yeah 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 yeah, yeah exactly that, that was basically their metaphor for his ex-wife which is uh, <laughs> probably not the kindest thing to portray her as but there you go that's uh, that's roger waters for you i guess so Oh, I believe the um, the trial had already been animated for the uh, the concert tour because I know a lot there was some animation that was already done before the movie, like the animation that was used in Another Brick in the Wall Part Two. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing that back in 1979 um, when they released the single. So, oh, well, that might have been 1980. I'm not quite sure which year. It's it's all right. It came out. It was uh, I think it was Christmas number one on seventy nine and into eighty. So yeah, it was around that time. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right. A lot of the stuff with the teacher, especially when he's putting you, you see him as huge over a school, putting all the children into what looks like a mincer. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, no, yeah, that, that, yeah, and a, a nice, a nice scene. The, 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 the <laughs> and of course, I mean, you, you know, that that's what, in many respects, that's what many people, the general public or whatever, would always sort of remember um, from the film is the fact that I believe, when, you know, when MTV started and whatever, the 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 war music video uh you know for for teacher leave the kids alone you know was 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 that sequence from the film right i believe they kind of right like no 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 the music video was made uh before the film because the film was, oh, was made okay. yeah the film was made um 81 into 82 mm-hmm. and the music video was made at uh, 79 oh right for, okay. because pink floyd didn't do top of the pops Ah. Back in those days, you did music videos because you couldn't appear on Top of the Pops. That's why Queen did Bohemian Rhapsody, because right. they couldn't appear on Top of the Pops. Oh, OK. Fair enough. I was say, because this was before the birth of, of MTV, I guess, wasn't it? And, yes. And, and things. So, uh, yeah, in, in, interesting, interesting. And, and um, it was interesting listening to Alan Parker uh, talk about some of his approach for this, because, you know, he's, he's often described this as the... Uh, 
I, I've seen quotes. I've not heard him say this, but I've seen written quotes that he often describes it as the the most expensive student film ever, kind of thing. But uh, you, you know, his approach to it was he didn't want to he didn't want to have any scenes of the concert or anything in there. He didn't want it to be that way. He wanted to try and uh, a, 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 and shoot something for the for the entire piece. Um, that's correct, isn't it? I discovered an interesting history about this. Um, originally, uh, when Roger Waters came to uh, Alan Parker to do this project, he wanted him to direct, and Alan Parker didn't. He actually wanted to produce it, so he passed it on to his DOP at the time to be the director of it. Oh, right. And they actually went and shot concert foot at, at Earl's Court, and it was a big disaster. Okay. So he came back from filming Shoot the Moon, which had gone relatively very easy, and he, they, they asked Roger. Uh, sorry, they asked uh, Alan Parker to to direct it. So he did, and they went in and they, you know, sort of fought over the scripts, and they sort of battled it out until they finally got something that Alan Parker was very happy with, and then. I believe Alan Parker was left alone to film it. But then when it came to the post-production side, there was still a lot more fighting and stuff. And so at the end, um, Roger Waters and Alan Parker doesn't, they, they don't really talk to each other. If anything, Alan Parker says that the cover to the final cut album, which was the following album to the wall with the uh, general, with the can of film with the knife in his back, he reckons Alan Parkin reckons that's him. That it's a dig at him. Oh, right. the cover of that album. I was not aware of that. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, there's, there's, there's. It's funny, isn't it? There's lots of these stories out there, and um, I'm sure, I'm sure bits and pieces of some of them are true, and then bits and pieces have been elaborated over the years or whatever. But that's that's just just reading the the essay that uh, Alan Parker wrote about the making of that film. Oh wow! Film. Okay, yeah. well then, then so, if it's his essay, his words, then that's yeah. that's his view on it. Then I guess absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think I think one of the things that we need to talk about um, with this as well is um, the, the the casting and and the use of Bob Geldof as, as Pink in this because. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I always find the stories are slightly ambiguous or, or, or contradict each other on this. But did uh, did Roger Waters not actually want to be in this originally? Do any uh, either of you know? Well, I was going to say that um, Roger Waters always seems to come across as quite introverted. I'm, I'm not sure really how well he'd go, go across on film. So he may well have decided to sit that one out himself. But lots uh, of it was inspired by things that had happened in in his life right i mean oh. i i hear that the the genesis of this was to do with a a concert that went really badly where he ends up sort of spitting at someone in the audience and and sort of stepped out of himself and said you know what what am i doing what have i descended into here and that was kind of the the nucleus for writing some of this i mean is is, is that is that true uh, yes, yes, it is apparently. Um, it it was a stadium gig uh, in Montreal, if uh, if I remember correctly, and he did spit in the fans' face. The fans were very enthusiastic, and um, he spat at him. And um, he realised then that um, doing stadium gigs, because it was their first stadium tour, it was to support the uh, the Animals album, I believe, and. Um, 
they uh, the, the whole band didn't take very well to stadium uh, gigs. They they felt it put too much distance between themselves and the audience. Um, so um, he went away, didn't he? And he thought about the uh, the themes of uh, isolation and um, and his abandonment as a child, and and the wall sprang from this as a as a result. Right. So that was that was the first brick in the wall, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, yeah, it's very sort of uh, autobiographical biographical um i mean the whole fact that um that roger waters father died in the war and it sort of that was something that kind of haunted him and then sort of built it upon this whole sort of isolation and building up a war and then the whole sort of neo-nazi stuff as well the whole idea that um music especially um big concerts could be like you know like the like Nuremberg, mm-hmm. so these massive rallies. So it's a it's a whole um, interesting sort of collection of stuff that makes it's very the the album and the film very kind of um, you know full of ideas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do, what do you guys think of um, uh, of Bob Geldof in this? Because apparently, as we know, you know Bob Bob Geldof was obviously at the time, I guess lead singer in the boomtown rats or whatever so he, he was a musician not an actor and uh, apparently alan parker sort of tested him for it using a scene from midnight express which uh, which 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 is kind of interesting but i mean uh, do you think you, you know how do you think bob geldoff comes across in this film i think it comes across very well actually um i mean the, the thing is he's he's having to play a character who's very distant the thing with the film is you're never quite sure if it's the drugs or if it's just him who's distant. I mean, especially the the scenes with him and his wife when she says, hello, is there anybody in there? <laughs> it's, um, I, I thought he was, he was very good in it. And also that him being a singer as well helped when doing, you know, when he had to sing those tracks live, because you could, when he's doing the Nuremberg stuff, you can see that he's actually there singing it, and it's not, um, you know, it's it's not a backing track. It's he's not having to mime; he's actually singing the stuff there. And Chris, what what are your thoughts on on Geldof in this? Oh, he I, I thought he was quite fab as Pink, to be honest. Uh, as Simon said, he did the alienation thing perfectly, and I thought also thought during the Nuremberg type scenes, he was he was really quite menacing and um, and odd and um, um, I still wince when I when I look at the scene where he shaves himself. That's really quite disturbing. <laughs> it is indeed. I mean, what 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 is it with Alan Parker and razor blades? Because obviously we got that 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 bit in um, Mississippi Burning, don't we? Where he's where yeah. he's got, and he seems to. But the bit in uh, the bit in this film in particular is 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 very scary, and um, obviously it's got that sort of you know motif with the razor blade, which is sort of set up when when. When the young pink, you know, goes to and hunts through the drawer, you know, in in his mum and dad's bedroom and finds the uh, the cutthroat razor and stuff, and then of course you've got that really spooky, you know, bit where he he kind of decides to shave everything, not <laughs> like his eyebrows off and stuff, which is like uh, pretty creepy, isn't it? <laughs> well, Bob Goldoff uh, did go for it a lot in that film. The you know the scene where he smashes up the hotel room. Yeah, he actually cut each time he did it. Each take, he would cut himself, and oh, wow. uh, so 
you don't really see it. I know um, at the end of that scene, he he you see him cutting his hands open on the uh, broken glass, the window, the one where he's screaming out at the street below. Yeah. I mean, that was cinematic blood. But when he was actually smashing the um, TV and breaking up, he he would cut himself each time he he really put himself fully into that role. No, I mean, I think he did a good job. Apparently, a, a little bit of sort of weird trivia, but this is the sort of stuff I love about movies, is um, Geldof himself wasn't actually a particularly good swimmer or anything. So the, the, the scene when he's in the pool, um, apparently he is suspended from a, a rig that they took from the set of Supergirl <laughs> for the flying sequences, <laughs> and, they, and they put it in the pool for 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 him to uh you know sort of stay afloat while they did that sort of camera pendulum thing that uh, that they experimented mm. with which you know i i think you know for the sort of narrative or the or the visual style of this film i thought that all worked rather well alan parker this says uh this says in his essay that bob geldof actually went off he couldn't swim but he did go off and train for a bit so the best he could do was dog paddle right which wasn't uh, which was enough for for those scenes um, I've seen behind the scenes footage of that, and um, I think the rig is actually for the camera, not for Bob Geldof. Oh, really? Okay. Because they swing the camera. Yes, they do. Yeah, they use that pendulum thing, don't yeah. they? Which yeah, is, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> but um, they, they, I don't remember seeing anything uh, holding Bob Geldof off up. Sorry, it's off, off. Well, I mean, I mean that's the point. You're not supposed yeah. to see it, but yeah, you know. Um, but... but I mean, a, a device like that, you would see it because it would be cables coming in and into the water and there really would be no way to hide it. Right. You would see that, but there would be something underneath him. or So it's. I think it was just for the camera, not for, for Bob. Fair enough. Ah, cool. But uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought I thought he uh, he he did a, a good job in that, which uh, you know is, is good. And what what about I mean, in terms of the actual, uh, I, I mean, I've got to ask because it is. A, let's be honest, it's an unusual film. It's a very mm-hmm. unusual film. What yeah. do you what do you guys both think about it as a, as a as a movie? Do you, do you, do you think it do you think it works, or do you think it's too far out there, or, or what what do you think about it? Why do you think it's a classic? Watching it again was quite strange for me because I don't think I'd seen it for for a good twenty years, and uh, my impressions of it was it still held up really well as a film. Um, lots of really great imagery, although uh, I also felt that some of it was very much um, a part of its time. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the lighting choices I thought were really interesting. Um, it was it Peter. Um, I can't remember the cinematographer's name now. Uh, yeah, oh, Pete, uh, Peter Bizeau, yeah, oh, is it yeah. or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I saw a thing where he was talking about his lighting choices. Um, although when I watched the film, some of the lighting choices he, he made for some of the scenes, um, actually reminded me of uh, Ridley Scott's 1984 advert for Mac, which was a couple of years later. Oh, right, okay. Um, you, you remember that advert where they, they yes. throw, I think they throw a hammer, don't they? And um, that's yeah. right. Yeah. They use yeah. a bit of it in the Steve Jobs film. Actually, there's a little bit of that used. So yeah, okay. yeah. Anyway, okay. So um, some of that reminded me of that. Um, in terms of the animation, I, I don't think the animation has really aged um, at all. It, it still looks great. I, I just love it to bits. It's fab still. But yeah, lots of really interesting and striking imagery, especially when um, he's kind of so alienated that he's basically sat on the sand dunes watching television. 
in his in his chair and um you've got the barbed wire with the hammers uh, next to him i thought that was uh, really lovely mm-hmm. for me it's a film that uh the imagery just sort of it just flows across you as as it goes along and it's and there's no point where you, you you don't know what's going on it's very kind of clear what's happening and you get a sense of when things are memory when things are um you know in his head and all that kind of stuff i mean i i love what they did with the music as well because i thought the the redoing the music um helped it was really really good i mean i like the fact that they changed um bring the boys back home where they had like a a full sort of marching band there with a with a choir singing it and um that was that was those scenes as well very powerful with him on the uh railway station where all the um all the soldiers are coming back from the war and he's trying to find his dad who isn't uh-huh. there and of course, they all stop to to sing "Bring the Boys Back Home." Yeah, and I thought that was really well done. I thought the uh, the World War Two imagery was was really well done, even though you could tell they didn't have much of a budget for it. Um, it was very small scale, but it helps sort of just to sort of nail it into his. It's all the you know, it's it's just it's a small thing. It's not about the whole war. It's about losing your father in in, in a war mm-hmm. and yeah that one battle would be the uh focus point for you know for a character who's who's had that loss yeah yeah plus i mean you know the the, the smallness of some of it obviously also sort of feeds back into the whole isolation theme mm-hmm. anyway doesn't it but um i mean i believe uh, again I, i'm sure i read this somewhere that um obviously they 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 did a of course, re-record this stuff, but I believe that the the late Michael Kamen was involved somewhere in that as well. Is that correct? Well, Michael Kamen was involved in the album. Oh, was he? Okay, I he didn't know did that. the orchestrations in the album, so he was brought back to do the orchestrations for this film. Right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so, was this his first sort of foray into film then? Maybe. Um, I think so. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. That's good. Excellent. I mean, Chris, any other, any other, uh, any other things that you wanted to bring up about, you know, this film or Pink Floyd or the artwork or or, or whatever? Is there anything, um, you, you know, burning that you that you want to bring out? <laughs> I guess uh, going back to what Simon said, another uh, really good use of the. Um... Of the music, uh, the re-recording of the music that is was uh, again during the Nuremberg um, sequence. I, I keep bringing this up. I don't know what's wrong with me, um, but anyway, um, it, again, the, the the re-recording of the music was really good in that that sequence because it actually recalled all those those rallies from the the late thirties uh, really well and um, made it very clear what where this this guy was going, as if shaving his eyebrows and having loads of skinheads around him didn't quite paint the picture enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was the subtle yeah. approach. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I thought that was a really nice use of the the, the, the music as well, because uh, obviously it's the band playing that 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 song uh, in the flesh um, on the album. And um, I, I, I don't recall any of Michael Kamen's stuff being in that bit. Um, so, yeah, it was... Um, 
it was a really good piece i felt yeah absolutely um in terms of you know in terms of this film's legacy uh if you like um I don't know whether you've ever thought this or, or you, you know, things that it's inspired, but uh, another film I've not seen in, 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 in a long time, a long, long time. So I might be completely off the mark here, but um, I seem to remember in, in Oliver Stone's uh, Natural Born Killers that they had some animated sequences in that as well. And, and, and do you think that was partially inspired by the, uh, the, the Gerald Scarf stuff? Uh, possibly. I mean, Though that film had a lot of, um, oh, you know, it, it, it just it seemed to take everything from media. I mean, literally, I mean, there was so much stuff in there. I mean, you you had like a sitcom in there at one point mm-hmm. where the father's doing this horrendous stuff, yet they have a laugh track. Uh, you know, you have the sort of it, it is like somebody. Uh, has got the remote control and it's just flicking between channels and it just happens that every channel seems to be showing a part of this film yeah it's one i need to revisit actually maybe i will because uh yeah you know i just i just seem to remember at the time that it was likened or so, some of the uh some of the animation was likened or you know people said it had ripped off the the, the, the war slightly and um i can't really remember to be honest so i just wonder whether you guys had seen that more recently and whether they were on to anything or not. But, uh, oh, I saw that years ago. Um, what, what did the animation sequence actually involve in that film? I, I can't I, even, I, you know, I can't even I, remember. <laughs> from what, off the off, uh, top of my head, I just remember there was a lot of, they had uh, animated, um, oh, the main characters, uh, Woody Halson's character, and being quite grotesque and stuff and shooting guns. But it was always kind of like cut in, because it was that sort of very much that MTV stuff where, you just have images being cut into it. I, I would have thought actually that um, it owed more of a debt to uh, Clockwork Orange than it did um, the wall. Oh, right. Interesting. Okay. Okay. No, that's good. But there wasn't like full animated sequences like there are in this film. Mm-hmm. So um, I think for the, um, the kind of the style um, of visual storytelling, I think a film recently that sort of reminded me of The Wall was Upstream Colour, which was, again, a film that um, told its story through imagery and less through dialogue. Right. I have to confess, I've not seen that one, but, uh, you know, may, may, maybe I'll visit that now based on, uh, based on having seen this. Um, well, it's on Netflix. Okay. I mean, I, I have to say, I hadn't watched The Wall in a long time, long, long time. And, uh, you know, I, honestly, I hadn't really had the desire to go back to it until, um, until you know, we, Chris had suggested this and we had this conversation. Um, having rewatched it, I really enjoyed it. Um, you, you know, I, th- I think now I'm older, uh, I appreciate it and I kind of understand, you know, what it's trying to say and its thematics a lot better than I, than I may have done uh when i seen it as a youth as it were um i think it's almost like an interesting sort of experiment in in in, in blending the uh, uh the, the the real footage the the animation and and obviously using the um uh the the, the music as the primary sa- soundtrack and storytelling device uh with that and uh it was it was really interesting to see it they also had uh on the dvd i, I didn't actually get a chance i know chris you mentioned you listened to the uh commentary by roger waters I, I i didn't get a chance to listen to that before this but i did watch 
they had the other side of the war, which was actually um, a ret uh, it, rather than a retrospective documentary. It was a documentary that was filmed back in the in the day when they made it. And uh, that was quite interesting to see sort of some some of the behind the scenes um, of how they put put some of this stuff together. Um, and, it, you know, it looked, it looked like it was quite a crazy shoot. <laughs> um, I, you could say that. <laughs> yeah. But they, but they also had some sort of retrospective interviews on there as well that had been done a lot more recently. And, um, uh, you, you, you know, people people's memories of it. I mean, you, you know, Roger... Roger Waters thinks some of some of it. His comment was the thing that was missing from it is it was was he said the thing that he he sort of doesn't like about it watching it today is the fact that there's there's no humour in it at all. I mean it's completely devoid. It's a pretty depressing fucking film. Let's be honest, right? <laughs> you know, it, it's completely uh, void of humour. And um, he said sort of in retrospect, uh, you, you, you know there's been a lot of humor in his life as well. And if he was to go back and, and sort of look at his work again, he'd, he'd, he'd probably inject a bit of humor into it. But, uh, but, but yeah, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed revisiting this. There, there is a little bit of humor. I mean, uh, Bob Hoskins in it is very good. <laughs> and yeah. um, the scene where they're doing comfortably numb when he's in the, um, in the hotel room, um, he is quite, comical in that i i wouldn't say it was i think the problem is it's a film like this especially with the music it's um it's heavy so to to have humor in there i it just it it would have been just so wrong you know yeah yeah absolutely um yeah, I, I saw the live show uh, a couple of years back with Waters, and um, I, I've got to be honest, there, there wasn't a huge a number of laughs in that either, to be perfectly honest. It, it's not that album, that kind of album you can really make light of. Yeah. Um, although, yeah, wasn't Bob Hoskins' line uh, when he comes in and finds Pink in his chair? He's, doesn't he say something like, I never had this trouble with Cliff? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I know he says quite a few things, but... Um... Uh, a lot of it is um, sort of covered with the music, so yeah. I have to sort of go back to to listen to that because I I know that um, the thing is the the version I I watched recently the mix was very low, so that I had to pump it right up, but so the the music was very loud. But uh, to hear some of the dialogue was a bit. Um... I had the same problem. That's interesting, mm. yeah, because yeah. when the film starts, you know, when, when he's in the hotel room in the States or whatever, um, and there's the, 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 the lady, the cleaning lady with the vacuum and everything, I was like, I was, you know, whacking the volume right up to try and hear that. And then, of course, when the music kicked in, <laughs> it, nearly, uh, it nearly brought the bloody house down, you know, it was crazy. So, uh, Well, yeah. I have to say, I love the tr use of that track at the beginning because it's the little boy um that santa forgot yes i believe is the track and it just it just sums up the character of pink straight away he's you know he's this boy who um uh, you know that is sort of left on the uh on the you know the wayside i mean that the whole scene when he's a, a young kid at the playground and he's there's the the father there with his kids pushing them around in the roundabout and he just loves that and he feels like part of a family. So that's why he goes and grabs the, the guy's hand. And he's like, you know, go away. <laughs> Sorry, my best Northern accent. <laughs> go on, bugger off. Yeah, bugger off. <laughs> yeah, 
now it's a, a pretty cruel scene actually but yes it's mm. uh, it's 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 all very well done mm. well yeah but i mean also shows also how independent he is because um he sits on a swing and you can see him watching the others and sort of you can tell he's gonna sort of learn to push that swing himself without any help yeah so yeah, I mean it's 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 very good. I mean, uh, the the one thing I um I always loved about the film, and I thought it was a nice touch, was the the scene with the teacher when he picks up the book of poetry and he goes poetry everybody. Yeah, and he starts reading it out, and it's the lyrics from Money. Yeah, and I thought, oh, that's a great touch. And then I re- and then I found out that Alan Parker put that in to just to annoy Roger Waters. <laughs> oh right, right. <laughs> It's a it's a, it's a good scene, you know. I mean, yeah. it was a nice choice by Alan Parker, but uh, um, yeah, in, in, interesting. I mean, it must have been an interesting process. This with them not necessarily seeing eye to eye throughout the well, process. Has have you guys seen um, the sort of the the mini film that Roger Waters did for the final cut? No, no, there is, um, and. He actually brought back one of the actors from the wall to be in it, Alex McAvoy, who played the teacher. Oh, okay. If you go on YouTube, you should be able to find it. All right. Um, it's about 30, 40 minutes long, and um, it, it's very good. I mean, because I'm a fan of the final cut as well. I kind of I really like that album, even though a lot of Pink Floyd fans don't. And um, But that is a, an album very much of its time, about the 80s. I mean, lots of digs about Thatcher and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, no, this um, yeah, sort of. If you want to find, you search that out because that's Roger Waters totally in control. Of that he even appears on screen. Oh wow! Okay, cool. interesting. And, and Chris, how how was the uh, how was the live show then? What was that like? That was amazing. Yeah, it was really good. It, I think I was... met up with you before you were going, didn't I? I was. The evening after, I think. Oh right, okay. I, yeah, I, just, I, knew you, I met you around that time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we were all in the bar. <laughs> oh, obviously, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the live show was fab. It was um, staged an awful lot like the um, the original shows, and that the, during the first half, there's a there's a huge wall built in front of the audience. So by by the time the first half is over, the intermission, you can't see the band anymore. Uh, lots of projections onto the onto the um, wall. Uh, lots of the original animation, obviously. Um, uh, really amazing. Yeah, really, really well done. Uh, it's available on Blu-ray now. Um, hang on, should I be plugging that? No, uh, yeah, we're not we're not affiliated with anyone. Yes, that's cool. I mean, Christ, the amount the amount of DVDs and Blu-rays we plug on this 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 podcast, we ought to be getting royalties. But there you go. That's another yeah. story. But um. So, so obviously, like you said, they had the, you know, they had the physical wall on 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 the stage as a part of the set, um, and they used some of the Gerald Scarf um, uh, cartoon, uh, you, you know, animation. But uh, I, I take it all of the rest of it was 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 new, right? It wasn't there wasn't anything used from the film at all. Uh, no, I mean they um, they still had a, a mini kind of Nuremberg at the front of the uh, the front of the stage for the um, in the flesh uh, sequence, and um, that's really memorable because uh, Roger seemed to really enjoy firing a machine gun at the audience. That was uh, that was quite amazing actually to watch. 
Um, <laughs> he seemed to really enjoy being a fascist. <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny. Um, either way. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a really great show. It was very lavish. Uh, it obviously cost a lot of money to put on. Um, and it looked looked amazing and sounded amazing too. Well, I I was coming home from work from uh, one night when uh, it was playing at uh, Wembley Arena, and um, the thing was, I was actually wearing my uh, Pink Floyd the Wall um, beanie cap, and so I looked like I'd just come from the show. And I was thought <laughs> it was quite that, that that one day I decided to wear it, and uh, I get on a bus going home, and there. I'm 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 surrounded by Pink Floyd fans. It was quite quite amazing. Cool. Ah, very cool. I was just thinking of uh, when I went to Cannes the first time back in 2009. Um, they have a um, a screen on the beach which they do like nightly uh, screenings. Uh-huh. And uh, when I was there, they actually showed Pink Floyd the Wall. Oh, cool. On the on the beach, yeah. Wow. Um, I didn't sit and watch because it was uh, it was quite late at night. And it was quite it was very cold. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I was quite chuffed that uh, that they were playing it because um, it, it it does feel like one of those films that's kind of been forgotten. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I think so. Helps. I mean, I mean, it's um, it's interesting, sort of looking back. You know, when 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 we got to pee and and chose Alan Parker and sort of. Looking back over his body of work, which you know, as we mentioned in that podcast, is you know quite eclectic and whatever, and um, y- y- you know that the the wall wasn't um, an obvious one that sprang to mind for me at all. Actually, it was like you know, it, it's not my obviously it's not my favourite genre or my favourite type of movie or anything like that. And I'm not even like a you know I have a, an appreciation for it, but I'm not a massive Floyd fan or anything like that um but but uh but you know i'm i'm really glad that um well chris that you you as a as a listener obviously of of the podcast we we appreciate that for starters but um i'm really uh, i'm really glad that you you kind of suggested this because um you know in terms of discovering or or rediscovering and and certainly learning about new stuff um you, you, you know this this has been a really interesting uh, interesting little project so uh so yeah i've, I've quite enjoyed it I, I have to say yeah i i think you're right it's it's very much a, a forgotten film i think and um it, it was nice for me to rediscover it as well because I, I haven't seen it probably since i was a teenager um and uh to see it again was was really uh very interesting oh indeed i mean it's it, i mean i I'd, I'd seen it sort of not so long ago so it's a film i I do like going back and and revisiting from time to time Hmm. well well worthy well worthy (laughs) so um chris where can we find your work are you online have you got a website are you on facebook oh um no i'm not publicizing myself at the moment i'm working on something a bit hush hush um, which will be out this summer um but I'm not publicising it at this point. Okay. That's all right. So watch this space, in other words. Yeah, yeah kind of, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry, Chris. When, when, when we started these podcasts, Simon asked me on the very first episode, so where can we find your work? And I went, 
oh yeah that's a bloody good question actually (laughs) (laughs) so it made me get my shit together and get a youtube page up but before that um yeah i i i was not present either so uh so don't feel bad about that one (laughs) we wish you luck with the project and hope it works out hope you can tell us about it (laughs) uh yeah uh, absolutely once it's uh, released it'd be uh it'd be great to talk about it actually it's uh it's a lot of work ah good well please please do come back on creative yeah no absolutely uh so keith uh where can we find your work well now i've set it up yeah uh, surprisingly <laughs> enough you can find it on youtube uh if you put in british isles but it's isles spelled e-y-l-e-s as in my last name uh you can see some short films there that were written produced and directed by myself and as always you can find my work on independentrunnings.com uh you can listen to this uh podcast on itunes youtube um mixtape and um and Stitcher. Bloody everywhere. <laughs> well, not quite. And YouTube. Yet. We're getting there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, please leave us a, a review and a rating. Yes, please do that. That will help. And, um, you know, that just leaves us really to, to thank Chris uh, for coming on. It's always good to get mates involved in these things and, uh, you know, interesting to bring a different perspective about talking about these films along so really appreciate that chris thank you oh great thank you for having me on it's been lovely talking to you hope you had fun